Today, as we begin, um, we're focusing on Beatitude number seven. We're almost there. The Beatitude number eight uh, will be in two weeks because of next week will be Thanksgiving. But as I pray just uh, a minute ago, I believe it's not coincidence that God has prepared uh, this very passage uh, for us. Um, But the question that I'm asking, will there be ever peace in the world? And it, it, it is really gloomy, especially this week. It's been a terrible week, hard week in the news. But let me start with the famous quote from Albert Einstein. And he said, uh, the release of atomic energy has not created a new problem. It has merely made more urgent the necessity of solving an existing one. I think it's the talk of uh, a fear of the end of the world by the nuclear bombs lessened a little bit, but about a decade or two, two decades ago, uh, there was, especially when Soviet Union was there, everyone fear the fact that something triggers that the whole world will come to an end because of that. But Albert Einstein's point is poignant and clear and right. But looking at around the world, not only a Syrian a civil war and all the refugees and our, our outreach team has met up with a world relief uh, coordinator around the area and we are actually looking into how to help the refugees in Orange County uh, from Syria and uh, North Korea is getting crazier with Kim Jong-un and my both parents are from North Korea and uh, especially my dad's side except him everyone is still up there So technically speaking, they're uh, in truths rather than it's not a complete peace. Ceasefire happened 1953. And that tension is continually growing because of the craziness of the North Korean regime. How about even after the Iraq war, Afghanistan, the ongoing Middle East crisis there, something is about to happen. It feels like that. And then we're becoming increasingly more aware of the Islamic extremist groups. It's like, uh, not, not to mention ISIS, uh, Al-Shabaab, and Al-Shabaab, is a part of the alliance with uh, Al-Qaeda. And they're the ones that were responsible for a few months ago. 147 students in Kenyan students, which seem to target in, uh, Christian students. 
And another extremist uh, group called Barak Boko Haram is even just in 2014, last year, they have killed uh, over 10,000 people in the name of their Allah. And they are the ones who actually kidnapped the 276 schoolgirls from Chibok, Nigeria. And not to mention, who could forget, the America has become never the same anymore after 9-11. Within USA, we face continually uh, racial tension and violence and killings, gang violence, and school shootings. Just to win this week, and because of Paris, what happened in Beirut, Lebanon, as no one is really paying attention, but they had uh, 30, close to 30 casualty because of ISIS and because of their internal uh, turmoil. And have you noticed that, that this morning even they found out the suicide bomber in Paris. Uh, those three bombers happened to be French people. Uh, so as we pray for Jeff and Adrian and, and, and Adrian's parents to travel through the Europe, and eventually the Paris is very strategic uh, place for uh, business and opening of the store and over there. At that moment, when, when I was hearing this news, I was scared for them. But then the second thought, they might have the probably the best security at this time because of what happened. So uh, we cast out anxieties upon God for that. But today... Beatitude number seven is blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And before we even unpack the word peacemaker, what is a peacemaker? Um, how do you become peacemaker? We need to understand the word peace first. Because oftentimes, and even in North and South Korea situation, there seems to be peace because of ceasefire, because of absence of war. But if you look at Hebrew word, oh, I'm sorry. Let's skip that. The word is shalom. The Greeks would greet each other grace. But even in nowadays, the Jews will greet each other with shalom. When Jesus was resurrected and coming to visit his disciples, his greeting was shalom, peace be with you. And they will depart from each other. And just saying goodbye, they will say shalom as well. 
But shalom is much more than absence of trouble, absence of war, even absence of conflict. And the question is, do you have shalom in your house? Doesn't mean that is there a marital conflict right now today? Did you have a fight with your wife? Did you have an ongoing problem in your life? More, it means much more than that. It means the wholeness, well-being, and genuine relational harmony individually and in society as well. That's what it means to have peace. So in, in, in that sense, if, you, if I think about real peace or true peace is a result not of absence of war or trouble or conflict, but it is a result of righteousness, gentleness, and purity. We'll find out a little more why the righteousness and purity and gentleness is closely related. Because uh, true peace, shalom, is God's peace. God's shalom. And moreover, true peace is not an appeasement, but reconciliation of hearts uh, becoming one. And this is an important uh, concept. If you look at a direct you know, dictionary, the dictionary will give us the word, a definition of, part of definition of peace or peacemaking is appeasement. Appeasement is not shalom. A famous example is from book of Jeremiah. As we know, Jeremiah was, had the toughest job to do, unlike other prophets who had to preach for repentance and God's forgiveness is readily available for them and he will restore. That hope is there. But Jeremiah was given that God has planned to take them to exile. None other than Babylonian army, which is very uh, secular, godless people. And God would actually use that. And his message was, receive God's discipline and punishment as God's grace. Seventy years you will go. So two things happened to Jeremiah's heart. Number one, he didn't like the message itself. I hate the message, God. But unless he speak, his heart was on fire. He could not hold on to the word, so he had to speak. When he has spoken, people didn't like it to a point that he was persecuted. His life was at stake. On the other hand, there are false prophets coming out with this beautiful, harmonious language of appeasement. And they're the ones looks like, they look like a patriot. What do they say? We have a temple in Jerusalem. God dwells in the Jerusalem because of the temple. No one will dare to come 
and destroy us. So peace. Peace. And this is the passage that Jeremiah cries out. For from the least to the, the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly. Saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. I, I, I like that expression of they have, God is saying they have deal, dealt with, healed the wound of my people lightly. When there's a cancer, they put a band-aid on it and said, everything's going to be okay. Don't worry, be happy. So in one sense, we need to be clear about true peace is not this kind of uh, peace at any cost. Another one is a true peace is possible only when we deal with sin. Why is it so? The whole beatitude is an inner transformation of becoming a righteous person by God's grace, but it's a sanctification process also too. Because peace belongs to God. God is God of peace. And because of that, peace involves in four areas or arenas in our lives. Number one begins with peace with God. In actuality, without this peace with God, no other peace can be fully restored. And it is an incomplete peace without that. But true peace with God through Jesus Christ, actually, it will lead us to peace with self and peace with others and the peace in the world. And I think I was one of those people and Facebook made it so conveniently, changed the temporary profile to to support friends and the friends flag was on top of my profile picture and I could see the dozens of people going at it praying and that there's a post like uh, it's not only the Paris but we have to pray for the world pointing to Beirut and other areas of uh, recent recent areas of uh, uh, violence and killings and what does it mean to pray for Paris? Somehow God will miraculously make things okay? Through the eyes of Jeremiah, the heart is a problem. And Jesus is going at the heart. And this is the very reason why Jesus is not addressing a top level of political or diplomatic or the organizational, as much as the UN has a good function, the world peace will never come to reality through UN. 
And how does it come about? Peace comes from our inner transformation. When we deal with wickedness and selfishness and self-centeredness and sin, So inner transformation is the real transformation. That inner transformation will naturally move out as if you're pouring water in the jar. And then when it's filled, it will overflow. So now let's think about what does it mean to be a peacemaker. A peacemaker is a person committed to actively making peace. Why? Because peace never comes by accident. Just leave it alone. Somehow it comes about. And this is a very important point, even for within our church. Many of us confess that one of the beautiful things about Crossway is community, intimate community. But the first sign of intimate community, true, true community, is not feeling good. It is commitment. And I might as well say perpetual commitment. Without perpetual commitment, your, your marriage will not last long. Without perpetual commitment, you cannot be authentic within our community. Why? Because when you live so closely, there will be a conflict, there will be a tension. There will be some people who rub you wrong way. So if peace that never comes by chance, let's identify the false, the counterfeits, right? It, it looks like Nike, but it is not. It's Nike from Made in China or something, right? Peacemakers are not peace-wishers, peace-hopers, peace and peace-dreamers who write beautiful poems about dreaming about peace. Furthermore, peacemakers are not appeasers, peace-fakers, truth-makers, truth-makers, and mood-makers. So some of you introverted people Let me take the burden off. You don't have to walk into a room and then the whole mood changes with beautiful positivity and, and harmony. And you are the life of party. And people love to have you in their gatherings. That's not peacemaker. Sometimes peacemaker, because of God's peace, makes trouble. But they are not troublemakers because that trouble is actually opening the wound from bandage. And oftentimes, we hate to even face anything that is, I mean, typical uh, statement that I get from, you know, our church, our counseling situation, even outside the church. A lot of people will say, I really don't like 
conflicts. I'm really not at, not good at conflict. Up until now, I've been in ministry, you know, several, several years, close to 25, 30 years now. I've never met a person who says, I love conflict. And I'm really good at it. I'm looking for conflict right now. So peacemaker is also meek and pure in heart. Because when you really look at this, the whole beatitude, how interrelated they are, interconnected they are, and it's just beautiful, insightful thing. So unless you have a pure motive, and you're, there's nothing in you you're, you're gaining by making peace, people will not even believe you. Isn't it true that our wives and our, our husbands know it so well when when they become nice and the first thing say, what do you want? Right? So there's an ulterior motive in other words. So it has to be pure, single-minded, cleansed and sincerely uttered, utterly sincere. But also, unless you're a meek person who knows how to be humble and gentle, not only to God but to one another, you don't really make peace. You make more trouble coming into it. And my confession is, I, in my natural temperament, I'm not responsible for my temper. I'm intense. I'm passionate. And a lot of times my wives will say, can you not raise your, raise your voice? And I say, I'm not raising my voice. This is the way I express my heart. I'm not mad at all. <laughs> But I am responsible for my character. And Wade spoke very uh, convincingly about husbands should, must not be harsh in loving our wives. And I need to repent every single time when I do that. And thirdly, peacemaker pursues both vertical and horizontal Reconciliation. And this is what full shalom looks like. Taking a look at quickly about vertical. is a vertical basically is a reconciliation with God. And Apostle Paul being a peacemaker vertically first. He comes out and said in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20 to 21. Therefore. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through, through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we must be reconciled. To God. Without Christ, we didn't have any hope. We don't have any hope without Christ. But Romans 5 1 said, 
Now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Horizontal relationship is a reconciliation with others, um, but not a picky way of uh, reconciling with the people that I like only, or reconciling with people that I plan to keep in my circle of friendship only. But God's shalom flows with with power, with um, gentle aggression into our lives. And to a point, Proverbs 16, verse 7, it says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. And did you know that later in this chapter, very chapter, Matthew 5, verse 44 to 45, that is actually, actually command. I say, uh, prior to that he will say, you have heard, love your enemies and hate, uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So you may be sons of God, once again, and comes out there. The caution, a caveat that I, we need to clarify here is that people who are naturally temperamental-wise, people-pleasers, are obsessed about making peace with everyone. So wouldn't it be great for us to be reminded by Romans 12, verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. With all. It, it, that implies very clearly there are cases that you will not have make full reconciliation because it's not up to you. And I think in my own, um, in my own life, especially because of previous ministry, may have, maybe I, my drivenness hurt people. I don't know. But the, what Facebook surfaced up in such a weird way, and people like me who are high, have a high intuition, I'm an INFJ, I could see lack of shalom. We don't have, I, I, I have to think about, did I hurt this person? I don't know. Maybe it's someday, even I'll, I'll just could, could, you know, ask each person. But they used to be my friend, and they're not friend on my Facebook anymore. It hurts me. <laughs> How? Why did you do unfriend me? <laughs> but it is not up to me. There are cases that I met up, and I apologize, ask for peace. Either there was a denial on their, on their part or they will not be willing to forgive me. But one thing is clear. When there is a peace, God's peace flowing through 
us inside out, we will have peace with ourselves first. And God's peace, like mercy, cannot stay within like a dead sea. It will flow to others. Remember a few times I have already said this beatitude is a, in a way very real spiritual audit. Jesus is not suggesting to us. And Jesus is not actually commanding us for the salvation. If you are not making peace, that you will not be saved. Are you, you, if you want to be saved, go ahead and make peace so that you could be saved. That will be work salvation. But in a, in a different way, what Jesus is saying is, if you are truly kingdom citizen, if you really have been saved and belong to God through Christ, you will have a desire for peacemaking. You might fail, but you cannot dwell in sin of bitterness. So gentle nudge of the Holy Spirit today is that if you cross your, if you just draw the line in your life, and who will be in your circle and who will it be not, which actually against the principle of as long as it's up to you, live peaceably with others. Christ implore you. Christ urge you to make peace. And if not, if we become continually defiant, we have all the reasons why we need to ask whether my salvation is true salvation. Whether I really belong to God. Moreover, a peacemaker embraces the sacrificial cost of peacemaking and reconciliation. So, did you know that uh, typical non-Christian's favorite Bible verse is this one? Blessed are peacemakers. It sounds so good. Offending no one, right? But there is a high cost for making peace. Let's start with this one. What, what has God paid the cost? That Christ himself in Colossians 1 says, he, made, he reconciled everyone to him through his blood, through his sacrificial death. But 21, uh, verse 21 of of uh, Colossians chapter 1 and clarifies and maybe succinctly more and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind which means we used to be enemy doing evil deeds he meaning Christ has now reconciled in in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless 
and above reproach before him. It costed, it cost everything for Christ, for this reconciliation, for this peacemaking. But what about within our relationship? Before we even talk about possible persecution, we need to think about what it, what it will take in terms of sacrificial cost if you are actively pursuing, not waiting for somebody to come to make peace with you. Matthew 5, Matthew 18 is those cases. Active peacemaking. Matthew 5 is the case when you are the offender. What does it say? Jesus said, when you're worshiping, leave your sacrifices at the altar. Stop. And go to the person. Make everything right. Reconcile with him. Confess your sins. Uh, if, if it necessary, pay back what you stole. Or pay, uh, apologize if it necessary. Then come back. Matthew 18 is when you are offended. When someone sins against you, don't tell others. Go to the person directly and tell the person about his fault. If he doesn't listen, bring another person. If he doesn't listen, bring more people eventually to church. So think about this. What is the cost? Oh, it's humiliating when you, especially when you're the one who offender. Because especially in everyday conflicts and tensions, there is not a 100% wrong person and 0%. Usually, often cases, we react to wrong with wrong, which multiplies our sins, and we justify ourselves in our pain. There are several things I did wrong in that course of communication. But I feel more offended. But I need to humbly pay the cost, sacrificial cost, confess my sins first, own my thing first, and ask for forgiveness. And even, even biblical confession is clarifying. Not, oh, if you're... You're hurt. I'm sorry about that. No, I was wrong. It was wrong of me to say that, to offend you that way. I have hurt you. Would you forgive me? And even if the other person has done wrong, what does Scripture say? Jesus urges us to take initiative first. Because what's going to happen? Either you would sit inside of our, it's just like growing deeply toxic within us, or we're going to talk bad about that person everywhere around us. So, 
Is it easy even if that, that person offended you? And, and it's common sense is that you are the offended clearly. And all kinds of things are going through our mind. So there is a high cost. Apostle Paul's case, the church that he planted and shepherded and loved, turned against him, did not really listen to him. In second letter of Corinthians, chapter 7, verse 2, look at his pain, heartache. This is a fatherly heartache to, to those people. He says, make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you. For I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Such a humble meekness there. Purity of heart is there. And he showed mercy in action. And furthermore, I want to be a little gentle about this. If we are really serious about peacemaking of God's shalom, we're going to seek righteousness. And when we seek righteousness, hunger and thirst after righteousness, we're going to get persecuted. Apostle Paul, Jesus himself, and the people who genuinely sought after peace. Martin Luther King Jr., was shot to death because of peacemaking. There was a, a pastor, Son, by the name of Pastor Son, right after the Korean War. Uh, during the Korean War, the communist uh, group of young people went through the city and then made a case of every intellectuals, every person who belongs to Christian church and Christian leader. Pastor Son was not there, but his son was there. This young communist leader grabbed hold of him just because he's a pastor's son, shot him to death. And later on, he made peace, not only with God, with himself, but with the killer of his son, he forgave and even went further. He adopted him. Initially, this man didn't believe him. Why are you being nice to me? And even went to the court that he will not have the death, death penalty, that he, he forgave him. And he guaranteed, voucher for him because he's legally my son. He finally came to know Christ. And, and then his heart was overflowing with God's shalom. And he became a very effective evangelist and pastor. 
true story. There was a book and there was a movie about that pastor and that story. But there is a cost, cost, huge cost, wasn't it? This blessing for the peacemaker now is a little bit confusing, especially our modern modern mind and modern reader can misunderstand uh, because a typical uh, kind of paraphrase and modernized version will say, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be children of God. But ESV is close to literal translation and kept the word sons of God. Isn't that sexist, people will say. But there is much more meaning to that because it has, a, first of all, stronger meaning than children of God. Why is it so? Because in cultural context, the son, the, the word son, is not only reference to a male offspring, but legally, son had right to be, a, to be an heir of inheritance. But also, furthermore, in this context, the word son is used for character likeness. In our English word, you know, idioms, like father, like son. This is what God is saying. If you are peacemaking, like father, like son. So I assure you, all the sisters are included in that. You become like God the Father, Heavenly Father. Why? Because Father is the one who made peace and reconciled. When we are yet enemies to God, God demonstrated His own love toward us. While we're helpless, while we are clueless, while we didn't want peace with God, Christ died for us. Furthermore, peacemakers are Christ-like. Why? Because the Son of God, His main mission on earth was reconciliation. So when we are making peace, when we are reconciling, when we are even mediating with troubled friends or relatives and family members, and when we are sharing the gospel of Christ so that our dearly loved friends and family members can have peace with God with the ultimate source of entire shalom, we're most like Christ. We look like the Father. After all, the whole thing about sanctification process is to become like Christ. The whole beatitude describes Christ-like character. 
what Jesus is really like. So in light of that, I want to try something differently, uh, different today. Instead of sharing about the interconnectedness in the beginning, I saved it until now because the question we automatically have by now, God willing, each one of us wants to and desire to become a peacemaker this week, coming week. How do I become one? I want to. The answer is actually within the beatitude. So think about this. Beatitude describes a Christian, true Christian. It is not eight different types of Christian, but it is eight different angles of description and portrait of kingdom citizen. So let's define it this way. A peacemaker is poor in spirit, confessing his helpless state for righteousness. A peacemaker mourns over sin, being contrite for his sin before God. A peacemaker is meek, being humbly broken toward God and toward others. A peacemaker hungers and thirsts for righteousness, longing for God's will. A peacemaker is merciful, reflecting God's mercy that he received, she received to others. A peacemaker is pure in heart, being cleansed and utterly sincere in heart. And number seven, I put it in my words directly. A peacemaker actively pursues God's shalom, which is vertical and horizontal reconciliation. And a peacemaker is persecuted for righteousness sake, being willing to pay the sacrificial cost of peacemaking. May I present so three ideas, three practical ways. I struggle with this a while. But I think the first thing that we need to do is pay attention to this interconnectedness. So remember I said there's a two layers of same process overlapped, interconnected. So that's why the emptying process, process, emptying process of self-righteousness, which is a false righteousness, and the feeling of true righteousness interconnects, impacts the one Beatitude number one impacts actually the key to beatitude number five, and number two, six, and so on. In light of this, number three is the key to the peacemaking. Now think about this. One who is utterly humble. And that gentleness is not a a trait, personality trait, but character, broken by God's hand, and willingness surrender to, to be led by the Spirit of God. And that person is ready to make reconciliation for others. Reconciliation with others, even with enemies. So I think among the three idea, ideas, and I thought about some practical ideas, but I really believe 
This is the key. First, seek meekness by surrendering your stubborn self humbly to God. In some way, this is making peace with our own heart. Let the peace of Christ richly dwell in your heart. Uh, dwell in your heart. That actually means that when the peace of God, peace of Christ is broken, is the prompting of the Spirit that we need to confess, that we need to turn from our own ways. The meek person has dealt with his or her anger. Psalm 37, verse 8 through 9. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the Lord. Those who wait for the Lord. Verses right before that is be still. Be still before the Lord. Cease striving before the Lord. Surrender, relinquish your control before the Lord. Remember I said uh, my number one prayer request is to be meek. And as I think... As I thought about some of the relationships that is not the way I want, that I want that person to continually in my Facebook and, and somehow I could call that person anytime I want. I don't know what I did wrong, but one thing I know is that there was moments that I was not weak. My temper showed. Maybe I was harsh in terms of giving counsel. And I really weep over my helpless state. And actually, for those of you uh, relate to me, the beginning of really true brightness and the light comes when we are staying in that darkness with clinging to God the dawn will certainly come. And then it's a pitch dark right before the dawn comes. Darkest moment. Do not give up. You belong to God. You belong to Christ. And there is a hope. Not through you, but through Christ. You will experience supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. The things that you weren't able to do, you will be able to do it. For example, your heart is ready. At any, at any cost, you would apologize. Your heart is ready. At any cost, you will forgive the person who hurt you deeply. Would you hear the gentle prompting of the Holy Spirit? Who loves you? Number two, in order for us to do that, 
We need to be willing to pay the sacrificial cost of making peace with others. James 3.18 says, A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Philippians 2.3-4 This is the attitude that needed for us as a sacrificial cost. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let's read it clearly again, right? In humility, act like that you're counting others more significant, or at least think about some things. They could be come up to your level. No, true humility. This is a meekness. Count others more significant than yourselves. You don't like to pay the cost. I don't either. But when we do die to ourselves, there is a freedom. There is a peace within our heart. Peace like a river. Like the songs that we used to sing when we were growing up. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also interest of others. And then, finally, let's seek to be used by God as an instrument of peace wherever we are. That instrument of peace is needed for readiness. Ephesians 6.15 And as the shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace this is how to do the spiritual battle 2 Corinthians 5 18 through 19 all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation and that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Of course, this involves making peace in our relationships and conflicts and helping others to reconcile. If necessary, bring the, bring the truth and righteousness and sometimes temporarily facing each other, which will cause fight. Do you know that? In order to wound to be healed, we need to open up and take the death cells out. In order for our relationship in our marriage, sometimes, don't quote me wrong on this, for healthy reasons, you need to fight instead of going to separate rooms. But moreover, carrying the message of reconciliation. So that the people who have no idea their peace is incomplete, that we might share the message of reconciliation so they could experience the peace with God. Let me close with this prayer by
St. Francis of Assisi. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much, so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we do pray for French people in Paris and the Lebanese in Beirut for peace. But now that we heard your word, we pray not necessarily diplomatic treaties and people like Kissinger who could do the job. But we pray for the gospel of peace. The Lord Jesus, as a Prince of Peace, will open the eyes of the hearts of French people, the people who are lured by the evil one and to become, to became, having become an extremist Islam groups. Would you come and do a supernatural work of making gospel become revived again in Europe and Middle East. And now we pray for our own hearts that we might be meek, that we might be willing to pay the cost, sacrificial cost, and that we do desire that you would use us as an instrument of peace, God, shalom, and everywhere we are. And this week we pray that you will remind us and prompt, prompt us to actively pursue peace. We pray all these things and grateful for your re reconciliation in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.